doing a first-rate duelist podcast. We're a podcast now. I'm gonna like put it on Spotify. It's gonna be super dope. And so today's guest, we have Jesse Cotton, who is a world's competitor and has many accolades that I don't know because I just know he's a really good player. So Jesse, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, sure. So hello, my name is Jesse Cotton. Um, I've been playing Yu-Gi-Oh for I think 16 years at this point. Oh wow! Competitively for last last four or five years, uh, really competitively. And in that time, I've won two YCSs, a UDS, and competed at three World Championship events. Oh, that's nuts! Isn't that impressive, guys? Yeah, that's super impressive. Sweet. Okay, so I pulled uh, the world and asked them to ask you questions. So I'm just gonna go through them. Um, but I guess, just so you know a little bit about me, um, I've been playing competitively since January, and um, I'm okay. I win or top locals, like, all the time at this point. And I got second place at this Gamer's Choice New York tournament, which had 180 people, and that was, like, the first big tournament I did. And so that gave uh-huh. me confidence. And so, uh, one thing I like Confidence is very important, so, yeah. (laughs) Because I didn't have any confidence. I mean, I named myself fifth-rate duelist, so as as you can tell, I didn't have a very high opinion of my Yu-Gi-Oh skills. Um, So I'm just trying to get better at the game, so I started this podcast interviewing people just to kind of learn more so I could get better and grow, and then my viewers can get better and grow as well. So, yeah, that's, that's basically what's up. Okay, so first question is, how do you feel about the World's Points Bro meme? What, um, what is that meme again? Is that the, I don't remember, I don't know. There's some really weird ones, so I don't remember all of them. I'm not in a lot of those. Yeah, I don't even know what they're talking about. It was a question from chat. Uh, and they're like, if you want an opinion for world points, I can give that, but I don't think that was the point of it, so I don't know what it's supposed to mean, unfortunately. Okay, scapegoat, you fail. No more questions from you, okay? All right. Uh, well, I guess, how do you feel about world points, then? Uh, I think it's it's good. It allows any player who's been at the, like very competitive um, another way to qualify for worlds, because with a single event being a qualification for, the, for worlds, uh, Variants will get to a lot of good players a lot of time, so um, I think it's good. I mean, you, if, if to get for, for the first two years of world's points, it was simply just top spot gets it. Um, and oh, like I to see. do that, you have to be extremely like consistent um, and driven. So I do think it rewards people that put in the effort and are good. Uh, and even with the top sixteen. Uh, it rewarded P. It, it wasn't as hard to get into the top 16, but if you were topping YCSs throughout the year, it was a lot easier uh, to make the top 16, and you still had to be consistent and and uh, do well. Uh, and the top 16 was also um, it, w- it was to add some variance to it, but uh, it, it still proves who is, I guess, um, experienced with high stakes competition, who can innovate. So I think it's it's great. Uh, more ways to get to Worlds is, is important because the single tournament means people can get lucky or unlucky and just not make it. I qualified for Worlds. And I actually missed out on it by a single round two years in a row. So it's part of what had me so driven. I was oh, wow. barely missing twice. It uh, it hurts a little bit. So yeah, I, I, 
really a fan of it. I can only imagine. I mean, I bubbled at locals for like five months, and uh, that hurt. Probably not as much, but it hurt <laughs> as well. Um, uh, so some sometimes it can be pretty pretty crushing, but for the most part, it's not a big deal. Okay. Um, we are wondering what your first deck was. My first deck. So my first like deck of like actual forty cards is probably some like really bad goat deck. Um, so my locals uh, let anybody under eight play traditional in locals. So I just had Chaos Emperor in my goat deck, um, but at the same time I also just couldn't afford all the expensive cards. Yeah. So it was just a random pile of like. I guess what cards were good back then, right? So, uh, yeah, random random chaos pile from 2005. <laughs> okay, nice. Awesome. Yeah, I played uh, like eight or nine years ago for a couple months when Dragon Rulers were a thing and Gravekeepers was my deck. And then I took a break for like eight years and came back. Um, yeah, very, very different time now. Yeah. Like, some guy sat with me for two hours explaining links and pendulums and all the new rules, and for some reason I decided to come back, so here I am now. Okay, we are wondering, were you naturally good at Yu-Gi-Oh from the beginning, or did you grow into it? So it's kind of a little hard for me to answer these questions, because I have been playing for so long. I don't have, like, obviously don't remember everything from when I was, like, five, because that's when I started playing. Okay. <laughs> obviously I was not good as a kid. Um, <laughs> But I do naturally enjoy puzzles and uh, that type of stuff. So I do think I was just well-equipped to get better at the game. And obviously I'm, I've improved over the years, as anybody would. Um, I think I was, I was pretty good from a younger age, getting, and I was, I was pretty solid. But yeah, obviously, was at the right beginning, it was obviously terrible. Yeah, yeah. Imagine children have trouble playing a children's card game called Yu-Gi-Oh for sure. But yeah, um, let's see. So, what is the best piece of Yu-Gi-Oh advice you've gotten or given? Best piece of Yu-Gi-Oh advice. <laughs> um, ha! Huh. I've never actually given this any thought. Give me a second. It's cool. Uh, also, how old are you? 21. You're 21? Yeah. Are you sure? You don't look 21. Which I mean in the nicest way, by the way. Um, I, I mean, I guess the biggest thing for me is just be logical with decisions um, in deck making and in gameplay and trust your own logic and thought process rather than kind of what you see other people do. Because you'll learn from the mistakes you make when you make them yourself, and it'll help you refine your uh, how, how you think and how you approach things until eventually you refine it into something that's sharp and, um, and top-tier competitive. Okay, yeah. I would say that's good advice, but at, at the same time, like, I feel like I'm a new player. Like, I don't really know that much about Yu-Gi-Oh, so I feel like if someone tells me to do something, I have to listen to them because they're better than me. Listening to other opinions is obviously important, but blindly following is different as well, right? You want to absorb information and um, try and understand it and then use it, 
um, rather than just saying looking at an or at someone doing a certain combo, a certain set of plays, and just copying it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Well, I listen to Cody because I I work with Cody, and so I don't know. I've disagreed with Cody on certain things, um, but Cody's given really good advice for the most part. So, yeah. Um. Yeah, and, and it may be less rewarding at first to, to like kind of follow your own instincts there, but it, it does pay off longer uh, in the longer run because you'll develop your own thought process. Yeah, I guess right now the biggest like example of what you're talking about is like I'm trying to figure out whether I should put Dragoon in my Drytron deck because like I'm tired of bricking and I feel like I can win without it, but Dragoon will win you many games. So I'm just going back and forth with all these pro players that are telling me what to do and I just don't know what to do. Speaking of which, what would you do <laughs> since you're a pro player? Would you put Dragoon in Drytron? I'm playing a Dragoon in Drytron, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, then I'll put it in. Do you play the pre-prep or See, the prep? I, I do play the pre-prep, but when, when you're looking at that, don't, don't just, the whole point of what I'm saying is don't look at it as, oh, he does it, so should I. You want to know reasonings and, and the thought process, right? Because as format shifts and the and the and people's decks change, um, the reasoning may no longer be valid, and you may opinion may shift. Wait, what's um, your reasoning then for Dragoon and Draytron? So my reasoning for Dragoon, um, I guess it was rooted in a couple reasons. So for one, it lets you play through Droll a little more efficiently. Uh, it's really easy when you know the Droll exists to search the ritual spell first, and then you can. Um, so, uh, Mew Beta Fafnir send Draconids, bring it back, and then use like a Karibo that's floating and uh, the Mew Beta Fafnir Fanaconda. So you end on a gate and uh, a pop. So it's diversified uh, two interruptions, which is pretty solid, especially when your opponent's down a card. Okay. Um, another thing as well is I found that when I was playing into fields, um, when they would negate my effects, I didn't have any way to use my bodies in, in an efficient way. Uh, one of the reasons a lot of old combo decks played through fields pretty well was that when they got when you got negated but your body was still on the field, like when they uh, Widow Anchor or whatever, you could turn it into something else useful. But the Drytron monsters didn't really have an, a good Link 2 that really helped them. It was just Need to be a Fafnir. Uh, you need Carrier's Band, and Lina isn't good in, the, in this format. Mm -hmm. So I wanted something that let me keep applying pressure with the monsters already in play and didn't require me to keep adding extra resources in there. Um, Phoenix and Cerberus are like not the best. You have to discard a card. Unicorn is three cards. Axis Code is like four. So there wasn't anything really great. Um, and Hulk 5X doesn't really work with uh, the Drytron cards. Mm -hmm. So Anaconda was good for that. Um, and Dragoon can also just punish a lot of the. Like uh, a lot of just rogue decks, I guess, because they aren't well equipped against it. That's a reasoning that will fall out of favor as the format progresses. Uh, I did play for the YCS when the format was brand new and expected more rogue, so I think that argument is less valid right now. Okay, fair enough. That was actually very well explained. Thank you for doing that. So, yes, I'm doing a $1,000 tournament tomorrow, so I'm trying to figure out last-minute deck choices. Um, okay, so uh, how much time do you spend practicing Yu-Gi-Oh? Um, there's not a consistent answer to that. I guess it depends how, what events are happening, how much. Right now, zero. I'm not playing the game that much. Um, I play a more Hearthstone at this point than Yu-Gi-Oh. Um, but there's no events to look forward to. I'm not practicing for anything. For the YCS, I cared a decent amount about 
uh, I was putting in 10 hours a week. Um, that's what I typically do, but when there's like consistent regionals or tournaments, I'm not practicing at all during the week because I have uh, other stuff going on. And then I'm playing on the weekends every single weekend. So that I mean, it may not be practice, but that is me constantly playing the game. So. Okay. Do you go to. I, I mean, it depends. Yeah. Do you go to locals or do you just play on DB or how to, or Ironmans or something? Uh, so I can't really play at locals if I want to test, unfortunately. Um, people. Well, if I do play anything at locals, it'll often be to, to, or in theory, would be to field test an idea. But the second I do that, it would just like spread across the internet, and you lose any advantage I have. Oh. So I can't do that. Um, when I go to locals, it's just because I, if I do have any spare time, but it's not often. Um, no, not really locals for DB. Yeah, it'll be with a couple people that I trust. Um, Honestly, I don't actually play that much. Mostly, just be talking through ideas. Uh, I'm I can just theory, I guess, th like theorize, opening hands, um, playing into fields, and uh, I, I don't like sitting there mindlessly playing games um, for no stakes. So I have my other friends often field test the ideas more against each other because I I can't really stand it. Oh. <laughs> Weirdly. I see. Yeah, that's like the secret. You come up with the ideas and make other people test for you. That's great. <laughs> I, this is bad. So recently, uh, so I, I, I'm one of the owners of Dual Stick Academy Patreon, where we, we coach people. We also provide content. And one of the things we posted was like 20 hours of just raw footage of, of like a couple of us testing for the YCS. And you kind of see, I'm like talking when it comes to theory parts, but when they start playing, I zone out and do other stuff until they ask me to come help with a play or whatever. Oh. It's bad. I'll just play Hearthstone or, or I'll <laughs> start working. Oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say something, but I forgot. Yeah, I think Cody does that too. Cody says he, he just thinks about the game and comes up with ideas and has other people do the testing. So, yeah. Um, I, oh yeah, I remember what I was gonna say. Yeah, like, Locals is dope for, like, the hang, but, like, I feel like I'm not being challenged. Like, I shouldn't be winning or topping every Locals I go to. Like, that doesn't make sense. I'm a new player, so it just means that I'm not being challenged enough, and I feel like I'm not really growing. So I gotta figure out a way to, like, um, find better people to play against. Do you have any suggestions for that? Uh, I think you're doing a good job right now, expanding your circles and your finding people to talk to. Sometimes it doesn't even have to be play just playing against them, but absorbing insight from other people is useful. Uh, COVID definitely makes it harder. You can't travel uh, if that was an option. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, for me going to locals, I do go pretty often, but it's not to play. Like, I literally go, I'm friends with the owners, a couple of the friends meet up after the store closes and we play cube or other board games. It's not, it's hanging out. It's not for testing. Oh, I see. Interesting. Uh, you know, someone had a question about, like, how do you find those obscure tech options? Because I guess you're kind of known for that, which is why you wouldn't want, like, everyone to know about it. So how do you figure that stuff out? Um, well, so I've been playing for a long time, so I do know a lot of cards, and I also have a really good memory, so I I'm kind of blessed with that. But general thought process is looking at what decks do certain well, or what certain decks do very well and are very weak, weak too. 
and then play off their weakness and strength, look for cards. If there was if there was a certain card that did this, um, that would be the game. Like if I'm looking against Tribrig and say, okay, this deck doesn't have any back row removal in its engine, a Mystic Mine might be very useful. Obviously, that's not very helpful. It's a pretty obvious card, but um, these are the, the thought processes I go through to try to find weaknesses or strengths and run with it there. Not really an easy answer, right? Oftentimes it involves me scrolling through database of cards to jog my memory if I can find anything. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, I'm still arguing that Mystical Rep Panel is a good card, but no one agrees a with card, me. <laughs> a card is very interesting. Um, it's not good anymore. No, it hasn't been good for a while. Yeah, but it's such a cool effect. Like, you pay the That's cost, funny. Is that a card? I get the is, is that something you picked up from playing Dragon Ruler? Or playing in, the, in that format? Because um, that was kind of popular back then. Yeah, like, because I had the card and everyone wanted it, but it was an anime card, so I didn't want to give it away. And then mm -hmm. I've just been thinking about it for, like, eight years. Like, hmm. Every time... Like, everyone has draw power. Everyone has a pot. You pay the cost. I reap the benefit. Just seems to... Yeah, so, I mean, the main the main issue with Ref Panel now is it's a card that requires you to go, go first um, yeah. for it to be effective. Which is already kind of not something you want to be doing unless it's an extremely potent card. Yeah. Uh, then you ask yourself, okay, does it help you achieve your own game plan? Not really. It's not helping your combo in most cases. Yeah. So uh, it's being used for a defensive tool, but defensively, it's a negate on a draw card typically, which is like fine, but it's not, and compared to what it could be, it's not the best. It's not Imperial Order or Artifact Sanctum or Anti Spell, which can theoretically win the game by themselves. Yeah. So it kind of lacks there. Where it would see use again is if the format slows down and both players are getting a chance to set cards without being overly aggressive, but draw power is also very important in that type of meta. Um, that would be good. Or if there was just any type of effect you could use, and you can then reverse and inflict on your opponent. For example, something that, that, that I thought about that was cool, but not actually good, uh, in 2014, when people were playing Sylvans, they had a card called Sylvan Charity that says you draw three and you put two cards on top of your deck in any order. At least one of them has to be a Sylvan card. So, obviously, it's a very good card, but if you're playing the Sylvan deck and your opponent's not, you can ref panel your own Sylvan charity. And because they don't have a Sylvan to put back, it says they have to put their entire hand back in the deck. So, it pretty much was a two card combo that took everything away. So, if uh, that's another scenario where maybe that card is good, you can set up some uh, instant win conditions there. Oh, man. Right now, I, I think it's lacking. No. Okay. Well, that was worth a shot. I'll still be advocating for it. Someday it will come back. But, yeah. Sure, it's that's, that's a card I can definitely think. It's unique enough that one day it could be relevant. Uh, there are so many cards like that, but right now it's not its time. Okay. What is the best deck? Uh, right now? Or... Yes, right now. Vitron. Yes! Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, sorry, it's like my favorite deck. Whenever I heard that someone won with it, I was just so happy. <laughs> I just love that deck. Like, like for me, like I was... Like, I, before Drytron, I played Invoke Shadows because it was, like, simple and easy. Um, and, like, I never thought that I could do a combo deck because I felt like I wasn't really good enough. But Cody actually encouraged me to try it because I said I really like Drytron. And um, it's actually, like, a really big accomplishment for me that I was able to learn it well enough to do well in tournaments. Um, and so, um, yeah, I just really like the deck. Uh, I feel like every time I play it, I learn something new. Also, Billy Break wants me to ask you about your feature match with Jimmy. Billy, Billy, screw you, Billy. 
Uh, so this is one of the like I, I I don't get affected by matches that much. Um, that one was really really rough for me. That was a top eight at nationals. What happened? Your match. Uh, we swapped decks mid a mid mid match. Why? Somehow both didn't because they make you re-sleeve in the same sleeves. Oh. Top cut. I both playing Burning Abyss. Oh my god! And we're just it just and we're we're playing for the world spot. So I remember confusing me so much, and I I made a mistake and lost game three. It was just, it was just so, so rough. Oh my um, I got seventh in Nash at that nationals and top four goes to uh, top six goes to worlds. Oh. So, that was 2016. That was that one was very crushing for me. It's one of the a few times that it, it like definitely stung. Oh man. Uh... I'm sorry. That sounds really difficult. But you got there. Uh, it happens. Wait, Sally asked a question. I missed it. Can you ask it again? Uh, okay. So Drytron is the best deck. I like that answer. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, what's your favorite card? Favorite card is Blue Eye Shining Dragon. Uh, hey. Favorite com like playable card is Fairy Tale Snow. Fairy Tale Snow is that banned? It is banned. Yeah. Is, is that the one that, like, you banish seven to summon it or something like that? No. Oh, okay. Just a very versatile card, uh, and had a lot of fun using it. I played it on a lot of decks. Oh. And those are definitely some of my favorite decks. Oh, apparently you're the one that got it banned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a joke about it, but it's not possible because it got banned, like, a week after I got second bit of YCS with it. The ban list is made way before a week in advance, so it, it can't possibly um, be Vimeo. So it's it's a joke because uh -huh. I, I like so for YCS Sydney 2019, I wasn't going to go flights like $1,200 uh, Canadian to fly to Australia. Yeah. Uh, but I was doing World's Grind and I played a back to back regional. So Saturday, Sunday, uh, Wisconsin, or no, uh, it was like Louisville and Chicago, I think. And I won. I went like 15 and one at the two regionals with this random thunder deck I threw together last minute that was only just fun cards. There were no hand traps, which is cards I found fun because I was bored. Okay. And involved like Grinder Golem and Brilliant Fusion and Glow Up Bulb and Brionic and Mare Mare and uh, Snow, which is a random pile. Um, and it did really well. And I'm like, oh my God, like do I just fly to Sydney? play this event and then I did and I went undefeated the entire tournament up until the finals oh wow um, so then, and then like a week later like eight cards on my deck got banned so people were joking that it was my fault but obviously oh. not possible yeah I see imagine how having that much power what if I broke mystical ref panel and I was the reason that got it banned that would be so funny I would never stop talking about it I'd probably quit Yu-Gi-Oh because it's like oh I can't get higher than this oh man <laughs> Uh, I'm supposed to ask you why your eBay shop is called Pro Potato. Uh, okay, so <laughs> it's like six years ago, I was still up and coming in the Toronto scene. Like I was relatively well known amongst Toronto, but nowhere else. Um, so someone photoshopped my face onto a potato. Okay. And kind of like went viral within the community. <laughs> So I can take that stuff pretty well. So I, I went along with it, and I call myself Pro Potato. And at three separate YCSs, I've I've just worn a potato costume. So and, and a couple of regionals, like just 
Yeah, full on potato suit. So. Oh my god, that's so funny. That's I ran so with cool. it. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I, I have a registered business named Pro Potato Cards. <laughs> I, I'm very happy about it. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Yeah, I totally want to cosplay at my first YCS. Just go as like Bandit Keith or something like that. So yeah. Um, how do you analyze your replays to improve your technical play? Um, how I analyze it? I mean, I don't really know how to comment on that. Um, <laughs> yeah, me either, honestly. But it popped up. I, I, I guess just see if there was a way you could have won the game and try and see if it was a justifiable play. Uh I mean, for, for most times when I am playing, testing, you rewind. If someone makes a mistake, we just go back. Because we want to see what happens when both players are playing properly and also find out the optimal line for everything. So, when we look at the replays because we just go back in the game, just replay it. Like, we take a line and then we see that it obviously lost us the game every single time. We'll go, okay, let's go back. Let's see if the other way would help us out. Because sometimes... Um, you losing is too far ahead for you to foresee it. Yeah. When you're planning out your moves. That's fair. Yeah, I watch my replays quite a bit, and it's it's just been super super helpful. Um, so I highly re recommend it to anyone here listening. Okay. I mean, when I, when I'm coaching students, I, I like to look at the replays. Um, like to so and what I'll do is I'll I'll before they make a play, I'll say what I would do and explain the reasoning and see what they do. And then I'll explain kind of the flaws with the strategy if they do make a mistake. Uh -huh. um, and then afterwards, when, if something does go wrong and how they lose, we'll look at possible ways they could have won the game and then ask ourselves if it's justifiable to make those certain plays. Um, then also look at habits our opponents make as well to get a better, better understanding of their decks. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and here's a plug for Dual Academy. Fun story, someone uh, told me about Dual Academy and like I didn't realize it was run by pro players. I thought it was just like a bunch of random people that really liked Yu-Gi-Oh! GX and so I kind of like didn't really pay attention to it until uh, I talked to I think Raphael and then he was talking about how he started it and I was like, oh my god, this is a legit thing. I had no idea. But uh, yeah, So there, there's, there's, there's eight of us started, or nine of us started it uh, and then we've added a couple more people on, on board as well. Uh, I think collectively between the 12 coaches we have has to be almost 20 event wins, if not already there. Um, probably already at 20 wins. That's nice. So very, very competitive group of players. Yeah, so go check out their Patreon if you're interested in getting coaching. I think coaching is very valuable. I think rather than spending... Like, like for example, there was one week where two separate players... Like, all my monsters were in defense position, both of them activated Lightning Storm and asked me why I wasn't sending my monsters to the grave. And I was like, it's only an attack position. And it's like, you spent 300 bucks for a playset of Lightning Storm and you don't even freaking know how it works? So I feel like if you're gonna spend money on expensive cards but you want to get better, just put it into coaching. So that way you can kind of like learn how to play the cards properly. And then uh, once you get better, you can make investments and stuff like that. So that's how I feel. But yeah, I have Cody. So sorry, I'm not joining Duelist Academy <laughs> anytime soon. But I will. That's all right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Do you consider yourself to be the best player in the game? And if not, who is it? Uh, no, I don't. 
So I don't think I don't like to answer these questions. Oh, obviously, okay. I think I'm I'm a I'm a very strong duelist, but there are many potential candidates for best player in the game or best player of all time. Any on any of these um, kind of silly questions? <laughs> be incredibly arrogant of me to say if I was, if I did think that. So there's no way I'd ever say that. Okay. There are many other amazing players. So currently, um, who has really impressed me? Uh, Pack is playing a lot, and even though he's still up and coming, has a lot more to do. Yeah. His the amount of time he puts into the game and commitment he has, and um, his like thought process is very very strong. So I think he will continue to get better. Um, if you want to see, want to talk about the best players of all time, just there are. Uh, I think a website called Card Sports League. It'll show you rankings of the players with the most credentials, and then that'll give you plenty of of good candidates. Um, okay. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't like discussing that question though. It's pretty pretty weird. Okay, we'll move on. We'll move on. Okay. So, um, someone in chat is wants me to ask you about your expectations for post BODE format. I kind of forgot. You told me what that was, but I don't remember. Uh, Burst of Destiny? Yeah, so... Yes, yes. Um, it's pretty hard for me to be motivated when there's no events to look forward to, so I can't provide you with this amazing foresight. For one, <laughs> we don't know what the, 20, like the last 20 cards in the set are. We don't know if there'll be a ban list. Um, we, and so, so it's a little hard to really know, and I've I played Sword Soul for the first time yesterday. Um, like, games will probably be the best deck and I'm not sure how dominant it'll be though because I haven't given as much thought into it um, partially because there's no reason to they announced the YCS with uh, Burst of Destiny legal the, with a month uh, leeway I would start practicing then and getting adjusted to it because this is more useful ways for me to use my time than theorize about something that's inconsequential to me. I see. Yeah, that's fair. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, I know you don't know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, because Drytron is very near to my heart, but do you think it's going to get hit in October? Absolutely. Oh, God. <laughs> Are they just going to take Eva away or something, or will it be even worse? Uh, I mean, so I don't know what they hit, but I can only assume that every top deck has to get hits. Want to keep the game fresh, but also to keep their new product moving um, as well. So, expect every every top tier deck to get hit uh, in some fashion, either consistency or power. It could be in ten being banned. Probably should be. Oh man. But. Yeah, it could be uh, other stuff as well. It could just be like randomly, you know, as alpha to one, just decrease consistency. But I doubt it. It's hard to say. Oh, yeah, I might cry when that happens. <laughs> I might cry, but no, uh, he'll find the new favorite deck. <laughs> I don't know. Blunderies is cute, but I don't know. I pick decks because I like the pictures. I don't really think about it that hard. I'm just like, oh, I, I like this, so I'm gonna play it. And it just happened to be that Drytron's the best deck. But, uh, uh, I don't know, man. Uh, let's see. Um, 
Do you have any like pre-tournament or like dual ritual that you perform to kind of get into the mood of Yu-Gi-Oh? Uh, I try to base everything I do off of logic, or I try to be as logical as possible. So anything <laughs> superstitious like that, I think, is stupid. Um, I mean, it's just the logical stuff, right? Try and get a good night's sleep, although I don't always do that, and try and make sure you have breakfast beforehand. Stay hydrated. Like actual, like real advice, not some silly superstitious thing. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so a lot of my viewers are actually like casuals, but um, they do, they are interested in becoming more competitive. And so, like, I made uh, like this series called Road to YCS, which just documents my journey going from casual to competitive. So, I just wanted to ask you do you have any sort of advice or know the best way to jump from casual to competitive? Um, I mean, if you want to do it, you can, right? I mean, the biggest thing is just being driven to. If you don't want to be competitive, then um, it's not going to be easy for you. But even if you if you want to be competitive, you can make it happen, even if it takes time. I, I'd uh, try be a little more outgoing and adventurous. Like, go to events you wouldn't go to. Try like, even just traveling a bit. Uh, even if it's a little lonely at first, like it, it is for everyone. You'll meet people. You'll create bonds. Um, and you'll eventually form a circle of friends that, that you can travel to every event with. And it becomes more, more about traveling and being with people and, and the game. Uh, and not, and not, just about, not just about the game. So um, and, and that's the biggest thing for me. And then at that point, it becomes a lot easier um, to be competitive. Okay, yeah. As makes... for the money part, though, I guess that, that is the, uh, the harder aspect. Yeah, I got lucky because I got a sponsor, so I don't really have to worry about that sort of thing as much. Um, but I know for, like, me, pre-sponsor, like, I had a broke... I call it affectionately my broke Ashidol deck because I couldn't afford Dogmatica or, like, expensive cards. Um, but, like, I don't know. I still learned a lot about the game and did okay. So, yeah. Alright, uh, what is your long-term goal? For what? <laughs> life? I for, don't know. One for Yu-Gi-Oh! and then two for life. Um, no, I, I can't imagine my life without Yu-Gi-Oh! I've, I've been playing since I was five, so yeah. pretty much as long as I can remember, I've been playing this game. Uh, if Whether it's selling cards like I'm doing right now or keeping the competitive aspects, I would want to remain traveling. Uh, traveling for Yu-Gi-Oh has been some of the most memorable, favorite memories I'll ever have. So I would ma even if I'm just not playing, but absolutely still fly to events in in foreign countries. Um, I would like to win worlds. Uh, I mean that's why I keep trying so hard and going back. But I mean, just do as much as I can, as best as I can, and keep playing the game and keep traveling. That's not really any specific goal. Okay. Do you think you I, I, yeah. might want to start your own card shop or something like that? So I have an online card store. I have TCG Player, eBay, I do Facebook, and I have a website, although it's pretty out of date. Um, I mean, I am pretty much a card store. Uh, I don't have a physical location because Toronto rent is pretty expensive. Yeah. Uh, also, there's no reason to have all the overhead of a shop when uh, the way I have it now, I'm not. I'm like my parents' basement is unused, so I just 
use that and they're fine with it so if i'm not paying any rent this is just it just makes more sense for me no reason for me to not do it yeah that makes sense um yeah i think so uh, when i was considering like my, my financial plans for that aspect i was Debating what I buy a shop, but I think if I had the money to afford something, I, I would actually just rather just have property for enters an investment or for an eventual future home rather than a shop. Um, yeah. Just from what I've learned in the business, the card store doesn't really help you that much for increasing your business. So the biggest thing is the space. Have it okay. here just for. Being able to store cards, so yeah. For now, it's not really important. Yeah, I just have this dream that all pro players will like, when they retire, they start card shops like Solomon Moto, and then they import their wisdom and build a community. I don't know. It's just a dream I have. Um, so yeah. Okay. Uh, what do you do to overcome your nerves and avoid misplays? Uh, it's not really a good answer to that. It's just I've to come to my nerves in the past and eventually I've built up a resistance to it because if it keeps happening there's a problem I guess I don't have a solution for that but uh, I eventually got easier for me I don't I don't know so like again that the top 8 match where I swapped X to my opponent and made a mistake out of nerves I went for a classic a play that other people would do instead of what I usually do and follow my own instincts, my own logic, and it cost me the match. Yeah. Uh, the bubble of YCS New Jersey 2013, I did, I did a similar mistake. Um, it cost me what would have been my first top cut. So, I don't know, eventually you get better at it. Just keep putting yourself in these high-pressure situations and eventually you'll get more comfortable with it. Yeah. You have to adjust. I mean, I, uh, I, there are many times I could tell you where I have made huge mistakes due to pressure so yeah yeah I can see myself struggling with that like I want to be on Yu-Gi-Oh TV uh which you probably don't know what that means it's what I call Konami live streams I call it Yu-Gi-Oh TV yeah. so I want to do that but I also know that I would have like mad anxiety and probably do terribly uh and then like get DQ'd for doing too many incorrect things but I still want to be on Yu-Gi-Oh TV I think that would be fun <laughs> It is cool, and it's uh, but it can also be daunting. I mean, there was a lot of pressure at first for me, but I'm comfortable with it now. Like uh, at this point, when I was, like in the when I was in the finals of uh, like an event in Atlanta 2019, it didn't phase me at that point because I'm so used to it. But it definitely was uh, earlier on. I just yeah. have to get used to it. Yeah, I know. Like when I first started going to tournaments, like I would like shake really badly. And get really for nervous. locals even i mean even for regionals i used to get nervous but yeah uh, eventually you just become used to it yeah i think that's what happened to me too like now i don't really get nervous when i do tournaments you become more confident and comfortable the more you keep playing and the the more you put yourself in these situations and eventually it'll get better yeah you just have to be not scared to make a mistake because it'll happen and eventually it'll get better yeah, that makes sense. And and chat, like, uh, I think it also helped because over time I got more familiar with the cards. So, like, it was mm. less stressful because, you know, if my opponent did something illegal or incorrect or something like that, I could I can notice it now so I can call them out on it. Whereas, like, I didn't really know the cards that well when I first started, so it was very difficult to keep up. So, yeah. Um, 
what is the difference between what makes the difference between a good player and a great player? I mean, good and great are both kind of subjective, <laughs> <laughs> like metrics. So there's nothing really to base it off of. Um, it's a great player will have more original thoughts and um, be willing to go do stuff that's not standardized and take risks. Calculate it once, not just risk for the sake of taking risk. So play in a more obscure deck because they had confidence in it and they've thought through their decisions and make plays that seem odd because it actually makes sense if you think it through in the time. Uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Just yeah. being able to be more creative. Yeah. I really want to be good at this game. I feel like I'm on a good trajectory. Like, if I keep doing what I'm doing, I can get better. Um, well, I think that would be super sick to be, like, a third-rate duelist. <laughs> Okay. Uh, someone wants me to ask you, and I, I kind of don't want to ask this, but I'll do it anyway. Chamber, parlor, or kitchen? Are those the dragon maid cards? Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, chamber, I guess. I don't play. I haven't played dragon maid, so I just play the dragon deck. Okay, fair enough. If it's supposed to be something weird, then you can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. All right, we'll just move on to the next question. Okay, um, are there any cards you'd like to see hit on the ban list? Um, so I think I, I, I'm not a big fan of one of cards that are not searchable. Um, so one of cards that like Imperial Order, or Call by the Grave, like it's hard to prepare for these type of cards in a tournament because they're so unlikely, they're not that likely for opponent to have them. Mm -hmm. So you can't prepare for them effectively. If you do, it'd be kind of playing against the odds. But when it does happen, your opponent uses it against you. It just hits that much harder. Yeah. I think Call by the Grave would be a lot more manageable if it was at three. Uh, but three or zero is my philosophy for a lot of those type of cards. Like, Max Yuna is a one. It was such a goddamn nightmare. <laughs> it was better at three. Um, I have to look at the ban list again. I don't remember right now. Because um, I haven't been super active playing, but... Those are like huge ones for me. Uh, I think Appaloosa is very annoying of a card. But it can be. It can probably fine. Same with the Troll and Lockbird and Lancia and Anti Spell Fragrance. D there are so many cards that could be like problematic, but they're probably not the biggest deal. Okay, fair enough. Are there any cards you want to see come off the ban list? Tell us now for sure. <laughs> Your favorite card. Oh, I guess Thunder Dragon Colossus would be the other one, but oh my god, is Tassim here? Both are both are are both are very special to my heart. Oh yeah, um, but Snow would definitely be a little. It would be ahead of it. Yeah, um, Tassim, he really likes that card, and he's been arguing that it should go to one. And most people say no, that's a terrible idea. I don't. Know. It probably it, it probably <laughs> shouldn't go to one. It's a very oppressive card. Yeah. Um, I have a, a giant card, one of those. I need to hang up. Uh, that's like one of my favorite things that I have. Oh man, I kind of want a giant card. I have all this wall space. Um, that would be sick. Okay. Um, when you when do you know if running two or one of a card is better than maxing with three? So two ofs are almost never the answer. Um, if you're playing a two of, it should be because it's searchable card. 
that you main you will that you consistently find you need a second copy of in your deck, or to mitigate risk for banishing off cards like desires or extravagance. Um, so I'm trying to think of a good example of a good two of in recent history. Um, so I'm typically very against this type of stuff. I don't know. I'll think of it later, but uh, like it's like oh, it's like Jack Jaguar and Solomon Great 2019. I'm I'm struggling to think of a good example, but like if you banish that off desires, you kind of instantly lost. So I wanted a second one of that. Um, but these are cards you don't typically want to draw in your opening hand. Um, for two ofs, but you want to be able to have them in your deck to search them, and you need to have uh, in case you manage off desires, or you find yourself using a second copy in the game pretty frequently if the games are expected to go long. Uh, for one ofs. You want it to be a searchable card uh, that you don't want to open in your hand. Everything else, three of, in my opinion. Um, yeah. Okay. And so, Pod of Desires at two is absolutely like one of the dumbest things I see people do, and I hate it so much. <laughs> yeah, someone I forget who was talking about Cyber Emergency should be at two because you don't want to draw multiple copies and i was like can't you say that about every card like i just didn't really understand that yeah argument. so so you you can uh that's not really a good argument though because when you look at um the the statistics behind it the chance of drawing multiple by adding the third copy isn't that much you increase the chance of drawing the single copy by way more than you do by drawing multiple so it, it's it's worth it to put it in um however when you're making your deck and you're like doing very advanced calculations to figure out the consistency you want, you may set a predetermined number of searches in your deck. So say in the Drytron deck, I'm thinking of all the ratios and say, okay, I want three bricks in my deck. That's the max I can have. I want seven hand traps and then I want 30 or, and then I have like my 15 engine cards and then I want 15 search cards. So then I could put 15 in. And if I still happen to have two leftover spots, and not enough for three emergency, fine, because because they all actually act as the same card, all the searchers, and I and my statistics showed to have fifteen, like showed I should have fifteen in my deck, not sixteen. So that that's when you'd play play two. Um, that's a little more advanced though. Yeah. That's like when you when you get into the into the very very statistical side of deck building. Yeah, I should have my friend. He's got a PhD in math from Johns Hopkins, like. Uh, Eight years ago, I had him figure out whether, like, it's that big of a difference to have 42 cards in your deck versus 40, and it was really interesting. It's not. It's th so I often play over 40 because it makes such a little difference. Um, yeah. It's not actually that hard. Like, it's high school level math in Canada. It's yeah. called Harper Geometric uh, Distribution. So it's pretty easy to figure it out. Um, and then that can honestly give you a lot of. Uh, answers for deck building. Yeah. Just look at some of the first differences as well of the changes you make, and then like it, it provides. A, okay, I, I it's a little math jargon, I guess. I but, went um, to an engineering. College. You can you can actually <laughs> you you can actually get um some good uh good info from doing this type of math. I actually recently posted a video on the on the Academy Patreon about how to use uh those those type of calculations. Effectively, not just look at the numbers and use it blind, but how to read it and then know what it means and utilize it effectively. Okay, cool. Another plug for Duelist Academy, which is legitimate. Okay, um, let's see. Um, 
We have a, I have a lot of people that like come through that are like, oh, I haven't played in X amount of years and I want to return to the game. Do you have any advice for me? Um, so do you have any advice for anyone asking that question? Um, uh, I've never been in that spot, so I don't know if I have, I don't have any first-hand experience other than uh, be patient. It'll take a bit to relearn the game. I guess. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. Um, would you say there are cards or decks that are legitimately unfair? Yeah, uh, of course. There I mean, it, it, there are specific cards in a specific format which are very unfair. Um, Is Drytron Some unfair? decks were just also really unfair. Well, Drytron is not even the worst defender, but it's pretty bad. Um, like... <laughs> Pretty much all of 2018 was just a goddamn nightmare. For Yu-Gi-Oh, it was FTK deck after FTK deck after FTK deck. And hand traps were not great. Um, you could not consistently play through hand traps. That was very not fun. Uh, Pendulum FTK. Oki was not an FTK, but it pretty much was. Um, Danger FTK. Not not fun. Um, XE has been oppressive at times. Dimensional Barry has been oppressive at times. Remember, Return from Different Dimension is one of my most hated cards. Skill Drain, Vanny's Emptiness, both cards that I've hated in the past at certain points. There are, there are a lot of cards that have been really oppressive uh, at certain points of the game. Like, like Degen Release or Rituals, or that, that card was a goddamn nightmare as well. Okay. Um, have you ever experienced burnout? Um... Me, not really. I mean, I don't play actually that much. Um, so, no. Um, a lot of me going to events is also traveling and being with friends, which I guess I haven't got sick of that, and I really enjoy that aspect. Um, I've had burnout from regionals, I guess, but more so from, like, trying to find cheap ways to get to regionals and cheap hotels and it involves me like just doing very very like rough stuff like uh one regional i did it was bus 12 hours to philly and busing was awful oh my god and then i played the regional oh, it was an overnight bus so i arrived at 8 a.m i remember freshening up in the in the washing with the regional it was awful so i obviously couldn't shower um I played the regional, and afterwards I had a hotel room until 4 in the morning. The regional back then was all time rules, ended at 2 a.m., so I had two hours and sleep. I took or I took a half hour nap and showered. I had to go to uh, the air, airport, fly 4 a.m. to Chicago, and my friend picked me up and drove me to Wisconsin for regionals, and I just crashed in the car for like two hours. Oh, man. Uh, like, that was just super rough. And then I had to bus back there, which is 16 hours. To just save as much money as possible because when you're going to that many regionals and flying that much it's expensive so I was saving wherever I could and it would just feel like crap after that because you're eating like awful food you're not sleeping uh, yeah like, I don't think that was like burnout from the game that's just burnout from travel um, in, in such an uncomfortable fashion yeah they don't really happen with the world's grind um, before they changed the top 16. Because when it was only like a top one or top two, 
was a lot more competitive, and you had to go to anything you could. Any sing every single point mattered. Okay, I see. Yeah, that sounds like a lot for sure. Um, I know I work full time, so I probably can't do that sort of thing. But I will try to go to whatever I can. Plus, I live like really close. Yeah, to I mean, I, I I was in university at the time, so oh, wow. it was still. <laughs> It's still really rough. Like I had to be back in class for Monday, so I'd have these overnight buses that arrive back. So yeah, that's the thing. I'd go from class Friday to the bus and then come back and immediately I'd get off the bus and go straight to school. So Oh my god. It it was bad. Like it was really hard. Um <laughs> that that I don't miss. But when I was traveling to like YCSs, I would take actual time off and, and travel a little comfier. That wasn't as bad. Okay, fair enough. Okay, um, so chat, are there any last-minute questions? Um, I guess the last question I really have for you is, what's the biggest cost of being a true competitive player, like, besides, like, monetary reasons? Um, I mean, the time, right, when you really want to be on top of the game, you have to be playing constantly, even if it's not practicing like when DB or locals I was on top of the game and was often playing regionals almost every weekend and I was going to YCS twice a month it takes a lot of time to do that right I had no social life at that point besides meeting, seeing people at events so I know like I don't have a lot of local friends here um, I don't have any non-Yu-Gi-Oh friends really at this point here because I don't have time I have to I have to deal with school the side hustles and uh, to, uh, to afford the traveling and then all the traveling itself, there's no time for that. Um, but it can take a health a toll on your physical health as well um, when you're traveling a lot. And it d definitely affected me a lot um, when I was going to regionals every weekend and I wasn't very conscious of what I was like eating on top of like the poor sleep conditions. It, it's not healthy. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, uh, I remember. Uh, a lot of 3 a.m. Denny's. That's <laughs> not, not very, very regrettable at this point. <laughs> yeah, I feel it. Yeah, when I went to New York, I didn't sleep or eat very much, and I don't know how I did it, but I'm probably going to, like, pack a sandwich from now on for a long while. Yeah, you can have some crazy, like, runs at events where just go without go on nothing for so long. Yeah. Uh, before Top Cut, I was just downing bananas and energy bars that were in my backpack um, just as fast as I could so it would have some sustenance. And I think, in retrospect, that was very unhealthy. So I'll have to figure <laughs> something out. Bananas don't sound the, sound the worst. <laughs> bananas are dope. <laughs> but, like... I, I've... <laughs> yeah, I'm not, like, when you don't have food, you have to go have convention center food, which is just these awful chicken fingers or whatever and like, they're not good for you and they taste awful so you just feel terrible and they're $15 so oh. <laughs> but I mean you need energy yeah definitely yeah, it's that that aspect is, is rough well yeah at least the good thing about remote duels is I can just go eat pizza in between rounds so I'll miss that but yeah awesome all right. Well, thank you. It'd be cool to do you again in a couple months when I get better and have a different deck. For sure. So I'll hit you up. Um, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. You're a very awesome, great guy, and um, I really appreciate it. 
So, yeah. Problem? Thank you for having me and hope you continue to get better and see success. Okay, thanks, Jesse. Bye.